guys. Uh, my name is Brian Rogers. If for whatever reason I haven't met you, hey, hey, it's so good to see you. Uh, I am the student pastor here. I have been here for 18 years now for a very long time. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, really, we work on the tenure system here, um, so they can't get rid of me. They have tried multiple times. Um, it just hasn't happened. Uh, you see David left the room because I'm up here. He just can't handle it anymore. doing something a little bit different today in that uh, we're actually live streaming to the student room over there. Um, so I want to try something. Hey, uh, students, if you can hear me, uh, let's try and make a lot of noise and scare the children. Can, can you guys be really loud to where we could even hear it in here? <laughs> the faint scream. <laughs> Holly right now is really angry at me. Uh, that's okay. So I am super excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, we are continuing in our Plus Nothing series. And here, here's the thing. This topic is a little bit of a difficult topic. Um, you, you see that Paul talks about this. And if you've ever read through Galatians, kind of front to back, you, you see that he repeats himself a lot. Uh, he goes over some of the same things. And so we're going to hit some of the same themes. Uh, but I ask for a little bit of grace in that because the reality is we've had this book for almost two millennia now. And we're still having to cover it because we still don't quite get it. And I think it's going to be a lifelong battle because this idea that we might receive something and it has nothing to do with us is something that we wrestle with. Uh, in fact, when we get a good gift, there's, there's something in us that a lot of times wants to somehow pay for it. I don't know if you've ever tried to help someone out or to pay for groceries or to do something like that, uh, but the reality is uh, a lot of times they might push back or they might say, oh, no, no don't worry about it, or uh, maybe I can help with some of this, and, and, and it's, it's kind of hardwired into us to not like to have someone help us. Uh, I had the benefit of receiving a very, very kind gift uh, uh, a couple years back, and there were no strings attached genuinely no strings attached, um, but I wrestled with it. It, it. it was hard for me because I thought in the depths of my mind, like I know there's no strings, but I, I feel like there's a piece of this that there might be a string attached. Let, let me, let me uh, test this out on you guys. Uh, finish this statement. If it sounds too good be, to be true, then probably is, right? Like we've, like I don't have to train you on that. It wasn't actually supposed to be up there for you to just read, uh, but that's okay. Here it is. Uh, but most of us would have known that, right? Like you're not getting a call from a random Nigerian prince uh, offering you money. Uh, it's probably not going to be happening. Uh, and, and so as I received this gift, there was a piece of me that knew that there was some unspoken string tied to it, right? Like if I had showed up at their house after I had gotten the gift and I had shown them that this is what I did for, with that gift, it might have been a problem if you'll throw up that slide. Uh, they might have questioned my choices with that gift, uh, going as far as to tattoo my social security number onto my forehead, probably not good. Um, and don't worry if you're reading, that's not my actual social security number. Uh, I, I'm not that bold. Uh, but, but here's the thing, like that, if it happened, 
uh, probably would have caused some tension in the relationship. It probably would have been a little bit problematic in the amount of that gift and everything else. But here's the crazy thing. Jesus goes to the cross, dies for our sins, and there legitimately is nothing that we do that adds to that process. And, and we show up sometimes at the table with Jesus and we've got our awkward, terrible face tattoo and we're like, hey, uh, this is kind of what I've done with your gift. <laughs> and Jesus looks at us and he still welcomes us at the table. He loves us, he adores us, he is for us. And, and, and that's hard for me. I think this is why Paul spends so much time in Galatians to try and hammer this home, because it's not natural to think that there could be a good and perfect gift that is freely given and has nothing to do with you. And so this is where we find ourselves here in Galatians 3. Because we want to look back and sometimes pull in the law and somehow try to contribute to the work that Jesus has already done. It says this, now before faith came, so this is before Jesus had come, before he had died on a cross on our behalf, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. It's interesting language, the idea that we were held captive under the law. I, I don't know if you frequently read through the Old Testament and read through the law, and think, man, this is captivity. It goes on and says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So before we go further, I want to unpack the idea of the law a little bit. It's, it's not just all of the Old Testament, but it, it's the rules. It's, it's the things that we're called to do. It's the, 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 the things that God asks us to do in the midst of the Old Testament. And, and here's the thing, the law is, is good. As we talk about this, I don't want you to hear anything else. I am not poo-pooing on the law. The law is necessary, it is good, it is a guardian, it is important, and yet at the same time, it imprisons us. Not because it is bad, but because that is by very the very design what it was intended to do. You see, God started pretty simply with us. He looked at us and he said, don't eat that. Pretty simple. One law, one rule, that's it. Now, some of you looking up here might realize, Brian, you struggle with that. That is true. 100% true. Noted. Saw that in some of your faces, a little bit mean, but it's all right. Uh, and I've always struggled with that to some degree. When I, when I was in uh, just grade school, I remember uh, my parents would occasionally, and they're probably watching, sorry, um, you're about to learn something new. Uh, not actually. Uh, so they used to buy Swiss cake rolls. Uh, anybody here love Swiss cake rolls? No? Some of you are like, what kind of a peasant are you that you eat Swiss cake rolls? Um, it's, it is what it is. So I used to love Swiss cake rolls. They would, they would have them occasionally. Um, but there was a rule in our house that I couldn't just go and get them and eat them anytime I wanted. I had to go and I'd have to ask permission. I'm sure a lot of parents in this room have a very similar rule with their little kids. Uh, I, however, was a little kid that didn't always pay attention to the rules. Uh, I would go, and I remember once they, there was a brand new box, and I went and I took the whole box, and I took it and I hid it under my bed. 
that delicious plasticky chocolate, like <laughs> so good. And so I hide under my bed. My, my, my mom comes to me and she's like, hey, Brian, did you take the Swiss cake rolls? And I was like, I don't think my sister who's over there was old enough to have actually stolen them at that point. Uh, so I don't know if I thought she would believe that there was some like bandit running through the Princeton school district stealing really cheap snack cakes, but that was my out. Like I didn't say that, but that's, I was like, clearly she'll assume something else happened to them. And, and here's, here's the thing. I've, I've sat with Christians that have said, man, if I were Adam or if I were Eve, I just wouldn't have eaten the fruit. I don't know why they didn't just do it. Like, we would be in a much better spot if I were Adam and Eve. And let me tell you, you would not have been in a better spot because you would have indeed eaten it. All of us would have. Because all of us have this desire for something that is really unhealthy. There's this desire to be in control of things, this desire uh, to, to, to be our own gods. And so I don't want to listen to the authority when it's my parents telling me to not eat Swiss cake rolls. And similarly, in the garden, Adam and Eve decided they could do this on their own. And it didn't work out. So one rule, they couldn't do it alone. It moves on to ten rules, ten laws. A little bit more difficult than the last, right? Notably, like... Not eating something is easier than some of the other aspects of the Ten Commandments. But they couldn't do that. And, and what's terrifying about that, though, is not only could they not keep the Ten Commandments, there were people that felt like they could. That's probably more dangerous. The fact that they saw the Ten Commandments felt like they kept them well and perfectly and therefore had somehow earned righteousness before God. And I don't know about you, but I'm a parent. I have two kids. If my kids are struggling with a rule, I might try and simplify the rule. I might try and break down the rule. I might try and reinforce the rule. I'll, I'll try and make it to where they can at least grasp and understand what is happening. It would actually be cruel if I added more rules on top of it, totally different rules that weren't even fully related to the original rules. Like, hey, buddy, I know you're struggling with cleaning up your room. Now you can't eat bacon or shellfish. Like... <laughs> He would look at me and be like, what? <laughs> like, so God moves from 10 to 613. So is God cruel? Is that why he, he continues to, to create new law and new rules? Or is it because the law is, yes, intended to help us to walk in step with God, but it's also intended to do something else? It's intended to be a guardian. It's intended to show us that we can't do it on our own. That's the beauty of the law. The law convicts our hearts and it allows us to stand before God and say, God, I can't do this. I absolutely cannot do this. The danger of the law is the very thing that is, called, that is made to help us humble ourselves before God actually can do the inverse and give us a list of rules and regulations that if we follow well enough, we can trick ourselves into believing that we can do it on our own. And so Paul is very clear. He's saying, listen, you guys cannot 
do this on your own. The law is a guardian, but the beautiful thing is the guardian is not forever. The guardian is temporary insofar as the guardian is what is going to be fulfilled eventually by the coming of the Messiah and was fulfilled perfectly in the person of Jesus. And so we are no longer under guardianship, but we're under the guarantee of the perfection of Jesus and the work that he did on the cross, the blood that he bled on our behalf because we never were gonna be able to do it on our own. And if that's the case, if we're walking through our lives and we're, we're looking at the law and we're looking at the different aspects of things and we're realizing hum, in humility that we can't do this on our own, it should draw our gaze to Jesus. And here's the thing. In our culture, it's a very unpopular thing to look at a crowd of Americans and say, y'all can't do this. You guys can't do this. You don't have it in you. It's not, it's not something you can do. Like everything in you right now at least in me, when I hear that, it like kind of riles up. I'm like, no, nah, I, I can, you don't know who I am. <laughs> start getting emotional, start to cry. Like, why are you crying? It's okay. Uh, like, if we're in a culture that, that, that speaks actually the opposite, says, no, you can do it all on your own. You've got this, just do it. Like, Paul, the reason he spends so much time on this is because he needs us to understand it. And he also understands that the self-delusion that you can do it all on your own is actually dangerous. There's a clip I want to show that illustrates the danger of self-delusion. told me I was an awesome singer. You see, we live in a culture that says that that is loving. To look at somebody and be like, no, that, that was that's so beautiful. That's amazing. When I, when I was in college, I was standing next to some friends uh, at the vineyard in Cincinnati. I was, I was worshiping, and one of my friends kind of nudged me. He said, hey, Brian, if you could keep it down, I'm trying to worship here. <laughs> it's really disruptive. Here's the thing. That might have seen me in the moment, maybe it was. Uh, but I needed to hear that. I need to know my own deficiencies because it's only in understanding and knowing my brokenness that I'm able to lean into the things that are going to fill those things. So here's the thing. If you're super passionate about singing and you sound like that, you probably need vocal coaching. Like just flat out, you need a friend who's gonna look at you and say, hey, I understand you say this is a passion of yours. You need somebody that is gonna train you and coach you and teach you and, and hopefully... That will work. But the reality of it is you're probably not going to be on American Idol any day. Like, there should have been a friend. I guarantee you, somebody, she called up a friend. She's like, hey, I'm trying out for American Idol. And all of her friends that were like, you're a great singer, they're like, hey, that's great. So glad to hear that. Good luck. 
congratulations. And, and now, like, she has this super awkward thing that is on the internet that will live forever. The reality is, the law being a prison is incredibly helpful. It is incredibly good. Like, the fact that we know our deficiency because of what we cannot do is incredibly important. It is incredibly loving. The most loving thing our God could do is to make us aware of our need for a savior. It would be terribly, terribly unloving if the God of the universe who knew that we were unable to do these things on our own had actually set us up to feel like we could. That would be terribly unloving. That would be terribly unjust. But because our God is loving and he is just, he has set it up so that we can't deny the fact that we cannot do it. I challenge you, go home and read all 613 laws and tell me you can keep all those on your own, in your own strength, in your own power. None of us can. And that's the point. The point is that we need Jesus. It goes on in 25 through 27. It says, but, but now that faith has come, this is one of those big buts in the Bible, but now that faith has come, because here's the thing, if God left it to where we were stuck under the law, it would be also cruel. But his plan was always the rescue of humanity through his son. And so now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We're no longer under the guardian of the law. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Your identity is you are sons and daughters of the king through faith. And, and just real quick to pause on this word faith, uh, it, the Greek word is pistis, and it's this word that I feel like has shifted meaning. The, the beauty of language is it evolves over time, and the terrible thing with language is it evolves over time. So this idea of faith, I feel like in our culture, in our world, is, is this intellectual ascent of understanding. Like, I, I understand that Jesus is Lord, and so therefore I have faith. Uh, but that word faith is a naturally active thing. It, it means that your life physically changes. The, the word that I would probably substitute is probably allegiance in our current language, because allegiance requires that you actually step into the things of your faith. You can't have faith as a mental ascent and not in physical, practical work. And the beauty is that is all the outpouring of what Jesus has done. It's not a matter that we have somehow continued to earn our salvation through works, but that we work out our salvation in the midst of our lives because of what Jesus has already done. It's this beautiful, beautiful thing. So the guardian that held us captive has now been replaced with the guarantee that sets us free. That guarantee is the person of Jesus. That guarantee happened on the cross. Because when you look at the cross, it's now empty. We know that when we look at the tomb, it's also empty. We know that this guarantee is good. We, we can go, it's, it's not like Silicon Valley Bank, right? Like we know our guarantee is forever, forever 
good. We can trust it. We can go to it. But here's, here's the challenge. We, we, we put on Jesus. We, we engage with this. And yet we still struggle with the law because the law is still good. Right? Let me read this. Deuteronomy 6.5. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Anybody in this room disagree with that? Probably not. Right? Like, that's, that's still what we should do as followers of Jesus. But there's a difference between doing it because of guardianship versus doing it as part of this guarantee that we have in Jesus. If it's our guardian, if we're doing it because we're still in prison, we have to somehow earn God's favor. We have to earn his love for us. We have to love God with all of our soul, all of our might, because in doing so, maybe we'll be good enough Christians. Maybe the world will look at us, maybe our God will look at us and say, yes, you are something that is pleasing and I am so glad that I died for you because you, you were good enough. But if we understand this guarantee, if, we, if we're doing this out of a place of freedom, we do it as a response to what has already been fulfilled on the cross. We know that when Jesus looks at us, looks at our life, it's not perfect, it's not sufficient, it's not good enough, and he still dies anyway. And so we get to walk knowing that the guarantee is good. And so we walk in freedom every day of our lives as a result. And finally, he finishes with this. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. And so, what is he saying? He's saying male and females don't exist anymore? No. Is he saying Jews and Gentiles aren't real distinctions anymore in that culture? No. Like the reality is, those people that were being written to very much identified as different class groups. Like, it would be weird for me today if I walked up to you, hey, my name is Brian, I'm a Gentile. Uh, you'd all look at me like, that is weird. I mean, it is categorically true, but it's very weird. But in, in that culture, it would have been very clear what group you were a part of, that you were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. You were either a slave or you were free. You were either male or female. And all of those had huge implications about your value, about your worth, about everything that you did in the culture and society. And, and what, what Paul is saying here in this letter is that your identity is solely as an heir of God. Your identity is only informed by the work of the cross. Nothing else matters. Everything else flows down from that. So if you're in this room, I don't care who you are. I don't care what strengths and giftings you have. I, I don't care what gender you are. I don't care any of these things. The primary thing that matters to me is whether you know that you are a child of God, that you have worth and value beyond measure. Um, I, I have two kids. Yeah. I have two kids, uh, and 
they're pretty amazing and wonderful, um, but they have problems at times. They go through things. And here's the thing I don't want to remind my kids of. I mean, I do, but it's not the primary thing. I'm not trying to convince my kids that they're kind. I'm not trying to convince my kids that they're sweet. I'm not trying to convince my kids that they're fill in the attribute that actually is who they are. Those things all may be true. But the reality is, my, my kids are going to struggle. At some point, a kid's going to be mean to them, and they're not going to be kind. A kid's going to be mean to them, they're not going to be sweet. And, and in that moment, if their identity is in their kindness or their sweetness or any of these things, it's going to fall short. They're going to leave that situation and that scenario thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not kind enough. Maybe I'm not fill in the blank. Instead, I want to remind my kids that they are children of the living God. That, that who they are, who they identify as, every aspect of their being is informed by the work of the cross. Because they can look back at the cross and see, even in their brokenness, even in their sinfulness and their messed upness, like Jesus still stayed on that cross. He didn't say, no, I'm done. I, like, I was cool with this whole dying for people thing until you made that mistake, and so I'm out, right? The guarantee is good. My guarantee of their kindness is not good. My guarantee of their sweetness is not good. Only the guarantee of the gospel is good and lasting forever. And so I'm going to invite the band back up, and we're going to close out here. Here's the challenge. We're going to spend time here in prayer. We're going to have prayer teams up here. We're also going to have communion here. And uh, one of the ways we typically do communion here is in community. And so I don't know what things are in your life right now that, that you just have struggled to let Jesus be sufficient in. I don't know what those are. I know for me, I have to continually invite him into my marriage and my parenting because I'll do something well and it gets to my head and I'm like, oh, I can totally do this. And then something smacks me up the side of the head. I'm like, oh, wait, wait, nope, nope, nope. Still need Jesus. So I don't know what it is for you, but I guarantee God wants to be in those things. The hope is that we would not have other things, that we would understand that it is Jesus and Jesus alone that is going to move and, and do those things. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then I'm going to have you guys come forward. So Jesus, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you that, uh, I thank you for the reminder as we navigate the
Jesus, amen.